Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by these great sponsors. Axon started out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. Imagine having 100 years of tire and wheel knowledge in your back pocket the next time you sell a piece of ag equipment. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. No matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's Iron Comps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. This podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. The Dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create connected customer experience and transform how you work. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving iron time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here. Moving iron. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast Markets with Sean Hackett. This edition of Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by Axon Tire, helping dealers move more iron for the past 100 years. For more information, go to axontire.com. Axon Tire's got a couple great gifts to give away to the loyal listeners of the Moving Iron Podcast. One is they ran out of deerskin gloves. Sean said to switch over to a camouflage. Camouflage. Alliance Tire hat that you can yeah, wear. Well, I'm wearing them right now. See? Can't, you yeah, can't tell. See? Nice. Those really almost look like real hands. Look at that. <laughs> camouflage. Camouflage gloves. <laughs> Can't even see the gloves. All right. So if you want one of those, if you want the Alliance baseball cap, send an email to marketing at axontire.com and they'll send one to you in the mail. Also, if you want $50 off of your registration to the Moving Iron Summit, send an email to me at Moving Iron Podcast at movingironpodcast.com. And the nice people over at Axon Tire are going to take care of that $50 for you. So interesting those two things send an email to marketing at axontire.com for the hat send me an email at moving iron podcast at moving iron podcast.com for the 50 dollars discount for uh everyone to come for the first 150 people that come to the moving iron summits so check that out valid transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs at valid transportation our goal is to help you reach yours no matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online to agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's Iron Comps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. And finally, this podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. Their dealer connects CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership, create a connected customer experience and transform how you work today. Sean is with Hackett Financial out of Boca Raton, Florida. And Sean is nice enough to come on and talk about what's happening in the marketplace here. So Sean, how are you doing this morning? I'm good. I'm getting ready to go to South Dakota next week for three nice. things in a row and then make a quick run to Indiana to do one. And then I'm and then I'm uh I'm home for world the rest traveler. Of the Sean Hackett. <laughs> Never, never been busier on the speaker circuit in my entire career. It's been really. I can't crazy. imagine why. 
There's not yeah. going on. I can't imagine why anybody would want to hear what you had to say, Sean. But I'm off for December at least, and then January just crazy booked again. But yeah. I'm 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 grateful, thankful that people um are interested enough in agriculture and weather that uh, I get a chance and opportunity to speak and talk about some things that I obviously think are very important to what's going on with food production and um you know and how important that's going to be going forward. So very fortunate to be in a position to do it. Yeah. So yeah, it's been a uh, 2021 and 2022 have been a uh, very um, news impactful year, uh, years anyway. And I guess as you're looking at, you know, we are heading into Thanksgiving this week and we got all that stuff going on. We've had, you know, the poultry side of the business has had some uh, some troubles with avian flu. Um, and, you know, that happens every year. It's one of those things that we see pop up. But this year seems to be the year that just, it just won't go away, I guess. So reading the news here, Sean. So I guess as you're looking at the poultry industry right now, what are some of your thoughts there? And, and how do you see that influencing the uh, price of turkey this this week going into Thanksgiving? Well, yeah, it's all protein, right? I mean, every, the whole thing is whether it's white meat, dark meat, red meat, it's, it's all protein. So, okay. you know, there's X amount of protein out there and everyone can choose if and when they're going to consume such meat protein. And if there's less of the chicken protein and they still want to consume protein, they're going to have to go, you know, get it from somewhere else, whether it's pork or it's, you know, beef or it's, it's something else. So, you know, it just, look, it just keeps the overall meat protein supply side of the equation tight. At the same time, there's tremendous stress uh, for consumer demand based upon the uh, tough financial conditions that are starting to uh, crimp the demand side factor. So we have kind of a battle of, of bullish supply, bearish demand meeting head on. And um, it's a question of which one just gets the upper hand or not. My best guess is right now, the demand issue is going to catch up with cattle and knock it down into the first quarter. I think if China's demand comes in like it has for pork, I think that will be enough to create enough demand to override and, um, you know, and, and win out. Um, creating some higher uh, hog prices here. Um, obviously chicken is a cash market, but um, you know, anyone looking at the price of turkeys knows they've been up pretty strongly this year. So. Yep. Yeah. I've noticed that there's uh, about everything that you go look at the grocery store anymore. I got, I got something the other day. I remember what it was. It was like five things and it wasn't like I got five extravagant cuts of meat and those kind. but it was like 60 bucks. And I was like, Holy crap. Yeah, obviously does most of the grocery shopping. So I was like, man, this used to cost $25, but it's the world we live in now, right? It it is. And uh, for now, you know, Mm -hmm. for now, but, but, you know, remember animal feeding units everywhere in the world are down because of drought, because of disease. Um, In fact, I, I don't have an exact number, but if I look at all the numbers around the world and look at how much herd liquidation has occurred in China, in in Europe, in the U.S., you know, we might be looking at uh, some of the smallest overall animal feeding units, you know, in probably four or five years. So so that means whenever demand uh, picks up a little bit, and it doesn't have to pick up a lot when you have that kind of constricted supply, but it just picks up a little bit the reaction to prices in the livestock sector are going to be pretty exciting. And that's what I think one of the big stories for 23 is going to be uh, that once we get through this 
hard down phase in demand and the Fed says, you know, we're done or whatever they're going to, you know, and we start getting some optimism back for demand, you know, the, the upside potential for livestock prices in 23, you know, could be pretty exciting and, and probably more exciting than, than many are suggesting. But on the flip side, if you think this through, it means feed demand is going to be low. Mm-hmm. You know, there's less cattle and less hogs and less chickens to feed, not only here, but elsewhere. That means there's just less need for feed, at least for the first half of the year. So, you know, that may temper a little bit grain prices, feed prices. Now, of course, weather always rules, right? I mean, there's not, it doesn't mean there's no demand. And if, if the one in 100 year Gleisberg cycle drought kicks in in 23 because of Hurricane Tonga's, if, that, if it turns out that Hurricane Tonga and the Mariana Islands underwater uh, eruption delay El Nino's arrival, then even lower demand will, won't stop the price from grains going higher. So, you know, so, so to me, that's the big story for grains is uh, what's that weather going to be? Are we going to get the El Nino? Like right. we would expect to see it and we're still going to stick with that forecast for now, or we're going to get a delay and we're going to get the one hundred drought. Obviously if it's the one 100 year drought, Casey, then who knows where grain prices are going to go, you know, but they're right. going to go where we probably kind of like Star Trek. We're going to go where no where grain prices have not gone before. Look you at know? you. <laughs> Sorry. I guy. had to do it. I had to do it. <laughs> oh man. Sean, yeah. The prime directive. <laughs> prime directive. All right. So we got we have this okay. So we got the stuff going on. We got these the feed thing that we've talking about. As long as this drought continues to stay in place, and you've talked about this, um, what you see in that. So you put a report out not too long ago. It was talking about Western United States and California uh, uh, precipitation. What you might see happening there, and what that looks like. Give me the uh, the brief synopsis of that and what you see happening there. We did analysis going back 150 years for Western U.S. That means if you just draw a line straight down the U.S., West. So Nebraska is West, okay? Um, and, and, and we really wanted to focus on, uh, you know, uh, California as well, because obviously they're, they're so important to feed production and that sort of thing and food and vegetables and that sort of thing. And we went through analysis of, you know, there's the West goes through long periods of drought conditions and long periods of wet conditions. Um, and we went over what really are the primary drivers for that. And what we, you know, it was an hour, it was an hour long podcast. So I don't want anyone to think that this is, we're just giving a very overall synopsis, mm-hmm. but the PDO, which is the Pacific Decadal Oscillation and the AMO, which is the Atlantic Multi-Decadal Oscillation, what phases those are in, um, and how they are in sync with each other really determine the overall long-term weather patterns. And then the short-term patterns are modulated by El Nino, La Nina. So we have been in a negative PDO since 2000. We've been in a positive AMO, meaning cold Pacific, warm Atlantic for the last 20 years. If you look at long-term precipitation patterns for West, for the West, we've been in an overall under below normal precipitation pattern. Um, and in some cases, extremely below normal precipitation pattern. This is normal when you have a negative PDO and positive. And we showed examples of past times where we've had that, that sync between those two. What we're believing is going to take place is the historical sea surface temperature cycles. Um, the PDO and AMO are not in alignment. They're in different phases, but they pretty much go up, warm up and cool down in 
40-year cycles. 2025, we expect the AMO to go into the negative phase, which means that the PDO is going to be negative and the AMO is going to be negative. And when that happens, Western precipitation reverts back to a more normal pattern. Um, not above normal, but you get to back to normal precipitation. Compared to what we've seen in the last uh, 15, 20 years, that will look like phenomenal. It'll be like great. So, so I guess the point I was trying to make with this um, this particular study was that we probably, you know, obviously we have a few more years of drought to go, meaning you were still going to be in a drier pattern into 25. um, And it could get considerably worse because we happen to be aligned with the Gleisberg cycle right now. And usually trends end in a bang. You know, usually the drought cycle ends with an epic drought and it ends. So I guess the bad news is we're not quite there yet for West uh, US and California. The good news is once we get past 2025, we should enter um, a 10-year period of normal precipitation. And then the way the cycle works is the PDO is going to go positive against a negative AMO. And that actually creates above normal precipitation for, for Western United States. So, so the, the bad news is we're not quite there yet. Brace for worse. The good news is the long-term picture actually looks like being having the, the water situation out West is going to get progressively better after 2025. So I think in the long run, given that most people in agriculture who are planning are looking at the longer term, I think that's actually really good news um, that that this extended period of below normal precipitation that is creating all kinds of angst is going to actually um, ease. But we have one more zinger to go before we get there. Right on. And I think you, you've talked about that quite a bit as to what that looks like. So now let's talk about the other sides, go across the pond here and talk about what's happened over in Europe from a weather's perspective. You'd mentioned, I don't know, two, three weeks ago on a podcast about that, you know, you the way Europe was setting right now with, with natural gas, we they'd have, you know, their 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 stocks are full, um, almost hundred percent. Um we have the ability to to send stuff over there, but there's just not a lot of places to put it right now. The first half of winter over there you thought would be uh, a little tougher than the second half, but the second half would be significantly more mild than what is anticipated. And I've heard about three or four other people now come on and talk about that, that same thing. So looking at the natural gas outlook that we see right now, Sean, how do you think that's going to affect the overall fertilizer uh, supply and, and price right now moving into the spring? I think the most important thing about the winter is the length. We can have extreme cold winter, winter, but if, it, but if it's a short winter, they're still going to be fine. If, I mean, if, if, the problem is if you had last, if you had a repeat of last year, they would run out natural gas. Uh, we, we simply can't supply enough to override the gap of Russia not, you know, sending them the typical supplies through the pipeline. So the good news is our forecast is very, very clear that we're going to have a short winter early spring, meaning that the winter ends, you know, late February, and we start actually starting to see spring-like conditions potentially even by the end of February, early March. And that really saves the day for Europe, um, like really saves the day to, to cut out almost a month of what could have been winter. And then almost two months of it, if it was a late winter, like last year, yeah. it really saves them from, from, and so we're very, very confident in the, in the, in a short winter, they are going to have some cold weather, I'm not, you know, I'm not, this is not going to be, oh, this is just going to be a war. We're going to have some plenty of cold weather, but I don't see the extreme polar vortex, sudden stress or warming event kind of stuff where you get, you know, minus 35. I don't think 
it's cold, you know, polar cold, but not, but not frigid cold. And so with that forecast, what that says to me is that um, to the extent that fertilizer prices are going to fall, natural gas prices, at least for nitrogen based fertilizer, you know, I, th- I think right, you know, fertilizer prices have already peaked and come down already to some extent. Um, I-, I think the fertilizer price is going to be um, lower come the springtime. I just, you know, there's been so much fear over running out of natural gas. And I, I just think, you know, and-, and-, and remember, people have had six months to prepare for running out of fertilizer too. And so everyone and every fertilizer company is stocked up and did what they had to do. I, I-, I think we've, we've I think we're going to be fine for this particular. Um, it doesn't mean that, that, that at some point in the future we we can't get back into having a tr- trouble again, mm-hmm. but I I don't think the fertilizer thing is something to worry about um, at this point. I think we actually have already seen the worst case scenario play out in prices, and we're actually on the way down, and um, you know, and that sort of thing. So, and remember, if this is the year for the Gleisberg cycle drought. Um, you know, usually that means uh, that uh, fertilizer consumption goes down because if you're so dry, you know, it, you don't apply as much fertilizer just because right. there's no moisture to, to you know, you know, you just, so, you. yeah. And, and so overall, I, I just think, you know, I wouldn't panic on fertilizer prices. I know everyone is pretty panicky, but I think when we get to March, um, you know, I, I, I think the fertilizer price is going to be now back to where it was, you know, but certainly uh, much more economical than what it has been. So. Gotcha. Okay. All right. Last thing, get your, get your thoughts on this. Um, I think it was last week, Thursday, I believe. I think when we were talking about the, uh, the effects of the underwater volcano, we, we brought up the, uh, you know, that the Black Sea corridor had been agreed upon until about February timeframe. And that was going to open up more, um, you know, cargoes of of grain to leave Ukraine and Russia all throughout the Black Sea. I guess as you're looking at at that scenario now, and with those things coming together like that, what are your thoughts for the? I mean, because like you said, you know, this is the best time to stock up on grain right now coming out of that area, with, especially with Ukraine and Russia both having bumper bumper crops. Um, Russia more. Um, more importantly, have a more have a have a way big, way more um, available stocks than, than anywhere else in the world does when it comes to wheat. So I guess when you're looking at that, you start looking at North Africa and Asia and how India is talking about that their their small grain crops are off to a about 15 percent better head start than they were last time last year. Looking at all that information, Sean, how how fast do you think it'll that will take to uh, get those? those grains spread out. And then, and then also what, what effect do you see that having on the, on the wheat market right now? Well, I mean, the fact that we're going to continue to keep some grain flowing at remember originally when Russia went into to February, it, the consensus was that there would be no way to see any shipments out of there for at least a year. Right. And it could, and it could be offline for two years. And the fact that, and nobody expected or believed that we would be having uh, grain coming out of there for the last three months. I mean, that was a complete shock to the system. And the fact that it was extended means that 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 it just takes the pinch off of this whole geopolitical event, meaning that it maybe it's not perfect. Yes, production is down. Yes, the exports are not what they could be, but there is grain coming out versus the idea that nothing was going to come out. So it just, it takes the edge off of that extreme scarcity issue. And it doesn't mean that we 
that having all this problem in Ukraine is great or that it doesn't have long-term ramification. It just means for right now, so long as that grain is flowing to some extent, um, that takes the pinch off. If we have a lot El Nino year and we have big grain production in South America, especially and more importantly, Brazil, and we have big grain production here, you know, that means more supply coming in on top of, you know, the Russia equation to some extent being neutralized for a little while. So, you know, so that, that's why I can still get back to the quintessential determination. Is this the El Nino year or not? Because if it is, we would expect important lows in grain markets to be late September, um, late spring into early fall. You know, when we price all of that in, if it's not, you know, then you're going to price in a low sometime in the first quarter because you, you, you're going to get the big crops out of South America. Um, uh, you're going to, you, of course, this grain cordial is going to keep, you know, supplies coming out. But if all of a sudden, if we make the determination that this is potentially, you know, the drought and it shows up that we have an early spring, but there's no rain coming and there's no rain coming. And all of a sudden we're getting into June and we have the entire U.S. in red, you know, then, then all bets are off. Um, so that's really still comes down to what we're really spending our next three months doing, Casey, is looking at every variable, every trend that we know look at to try to make this determination as quickly as possible. Because what the, the what that that really is a determination as to how all this plays out. For right now, though, the grain corridor deal extending and still very good weather in Brazil says for now there's not much to worry about in the grain markets. Um, other than Argentina, which we've been talking about for some time, we, just, we do believe can create a little bit of consternation here in December before the big crop potential in Brazil starts to override that. So that's where we're at, you know. And uh, but but what I would say is, you know, with, with the wheat market down here, uh, you know, if you look at SRW wheat, you know, down at, at around eight dollars, you know, it's a pretty if I'm a cash buyer of that kind of wheat, you know, I think this is a good value here, Casey, you know, um, still a lot of risks that can come out uh, that we don't know. I just think that, you know, if you're looking at where we were at 14, how bullish everybody was, and now where we are at eight and how bearish everybody is, you know, if I'm a cash buyer, this is the time you're supposed to be putting some, some cash orders in and getting some coverage. And I think that's what I would be doing on the cash side of, of the wheat market right now. So, okay. All right, Sean, good stuff as usual. Folks want to reach out to you and get more information about what it is you're doing on Hackett Financial. What's the best way to do that? Our website is Hackett, H-A-C-K-E-T-T, advisors.com. Lots of information about our weather algorithms, capital flows, some of our uh, interviews on market to market and such that people can get a good idea of what we do, how we do it to see if we could be a value to your listeners. Right on. Well, Sean, I appreciate you being on the podcast and happy Thanksgiving, man. You too, Casey. It's a blessing to be on your show. I appreciate that. All right. I'm Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Send me an email at, well, if you want to go there, you guys want to look me up at Moving Iron LLC, where you can find me at. And then uh, if you want to go to LinkedIn, it's Moving Iron Podcast and check out the video version of this on the Moving Iron Podcast YouTube channel, which is called the Moving Iron Podcast YouTube channel. It's clever. I know you guys are. Guys are shocked by my my creativity there. So check that out. And then uh, if you want to go to movingironllc.com, you can find everything moving iron related, everything, all the information about anything going on there. 
Um, you want to see what Sean looks like. If you don't go to the video side of it, you can check that out too. So Sean, I, uh, I need a shave. That's what I need. <laughs> <laughs> no, I could do this without guests like you on here, man. So I really appreciate that. I'm thankful that you're on here a couple of times a week talking about what's going on in the marketplace. It's a blast. Sounds good. Thanks. Casey. Right, so with right. that, Casey Seymour, Sean Hackett, it's going to be smart folks. Axon started out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. Imagine having 100 years of tire and wheel knowledge in your back pocket the next time you sell a piece of ag equipment. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. No matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online to agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's Iron Comps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. This podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. The Dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create connected customer experience and transform how you work. Moving higher in the 21st century. Hard work.